listening to In the House with Jenny Woon and Tony Singh, your West Coast real estate agents, a personal and professional development podcast for the everyday working woman. Gain proven business building tools and actionable strategies to maximize profitability. Here's your host, Jenny and Tony. Welcome back to In the House podcast. I'm Jenny Woon. I'm Tony Singh. Hey, Tony, I have a couple questions for you. Yeah. Do you know anyone who make really poor judgment calls around money? I mean, yeah. Who hasn't done that from time to time? I've been guilty of that too. How about, does money impact your relationship with your partner or your family? No, it does not. But we've changed some of the language around money in our family to be inclusive to everybody's viewpoints. Most people don't know how to change the language. Well, it's still a work in progress. We don't have it figured out, but- I think our guest today Mm -hmm. would definitely be able to help us with that. Yes. So we're bringing on Selena Gray. She's a money guru, a CPA, a CA for 15 years. After managing various corporate acquisitions, she's now her own money boss Mm -hmm. and founder of Rich Life Academy. It's uh, the successful five-week program that's online, available to all women and business owners. And- What she believes in is that you start from within. The more emotional and practical connection you have with money, then the more it's going to call in more revenue for you, inviting ultimately more freedom. Absolutely. So we cover so much ground in the hour, hour and a half that we had with her. The whole concept of money, getting to know how to spend, how to save has always been a taboo topic. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to have her on because it really does affect relationships. It can definitely affect relationships. And I really like her outlook towards money as energy flow. Mm -hmm. And I, I love how she had highlighted abundance and wealth in other things other than monetary value and earnings. So Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely valuable, especially if you're somebody that's you know, your own business owner, maybe you just started real estate. There are multiple ways that you can allow more abundance into your life. And I think you'll read this episode because Selena really highlights that. Let's dig deep right into money mindset, into how we (laughs) self-sabotage. How do we convert money into energy and let ourselves go of shame and produce the highest value, align that with our highest values? So mm-hmm. without further ado, let's introduce Selena Gray. All right, welcome back to In the House podcast. I'm Jenny Woon and we are here with... I'm Tony Singh. Hey guys. So thank you so much for joining us today. We have a very, very special guest and I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction because I know sometimes our guests can be shy about introducing all the, give themselves so much credit, but you're going to probably think I'm obsessed with you, Selena. So I'm going to tell you <laughs> yeah, let's how lead much with I that. know about you. <laughs> okay. So first off, your IG handle, because a lot of our guests follow us on IG, is Selena G Money. And you help women entrepreneurs lead themselves in growing wealth from the inside out. More revenue, more profit, basically bringing richness from within out. Absolutely. Did I cover a lot of that into two sentences? Nailed it, Jenny. Nailed it. <laughs> okay. So welcome to In the House Podcast, Lena. I have seen you in person at the Masters of the Universe Summit in 2018, hosted by Mark Groves. And I cried throughout <laughs> that entire day. I was Why? overwhelmed. There was just so many personal stories on mm-hmm. that day, especially with Selena. And I'm going to ask you some really personal questions, uh, which you've shared before on, on some of the, on the podcast with Mark and with Jeremy Goldberg. I've binge listened to eight weeks of your money mindfulness on the Mind app. Amazing. Such great material on there because they're really quick. For those that don't have the app, they're like quick 20 to 40 I'm going to go on. Jenny's yeah. totally geeking out right I, now. She's- I, <laughs> I've been wanting to get you on for the longest time. So I'm so, so happy that you're on. Thank you today. for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> and you host all these virtual events. You've been on CTV's Alberta primetime on so many podcasts with Jeremy Goldberg, with Mark Groves. And so I'm going to allow you 
to tell us about yourself. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm so excited and honored to be here with you ladies. I'm totally amazed that you watched me back in 2018. Motu with Mark was incredible. You're right. Like such an emotional day, incredible speakers. And yeah, he's he's really been such a beautiful friend over the last several years, Mark. And, you know, I have really dove into this idea of richness consciousness or wealth consciousness since 2011. And so I'm going to give a quick synopsis on my history to give context of why I love money so much. Mm -hmm. And it's not what most people might think. And so for clarity, I grew up in a very small town. And as soon as I could talk, I'd be asking about money. And it really embarrassed my mom. My mom was like, why? Why are we doing this? You know, we're not talking about money. And I, you know, at the age of five would find random things around the house and try to sell it to the little neighbors that lived <laughs> um, down the street. And then, you know, some of the amazing curvilicious old ladies down the street would hide behind trees from me and then I could still see them. So I realized <laughs> maybe this is not a good idea. And, you know, at age 16, I went on one of those school trips, you know, with our school, we went to Europe and I was standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. And I just remember thinking, oh, if I could find a career that let me travel that was connected to money, like I'd just be ecstatic because my dad, I finally convinced him to let me be his bookkeeper. And that's inevitably how I got excited about becoming a CPA. And so I'm a bit of an overachiever. I, I got my <laughs> CPA designation. It takes six years. I was like, I'll see if I can do it in five. I did it in five. And at 22, I became a controller of an internationally publicly traded company, an uh, oil and gas company. And my very first you know, job on, on the ground was to fly to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. And I'll never forget walking into that boardroom and it was filled with amazing humans. And I was like, I'm 22 years old. What have I gotten myself into? And from that, you know, seven years onwards, I managed hundreds of millions of dollars worth of budgets, a team of 30 people. And I was always flying around, you know, to Dubai and Europe and Africa and the Southern U.S. and back home to Canada. And it was really through that time, my body started to yell at me and I was 20 something. So I was ignoring it. And then <laughs> one morning I couldn't get out of bed and it took mm. me about an hour to, to get my extremities moving. And just like, oh, it's, it's a bad day. It's an off day. And I got to the office in Tunisia and I passed out right in my office and I woke up and everyone was standing around me. They're like, Miss Selena, are you okay? And I wasn't. And I flew home to Canada and I spent over 20 days inside the hospital. And that was one of the darkest moments of my life. I remember this was back in the days of the BlackBerry, which gives context to how long ago it was. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2011, I was looking at my BlackBerry. I was like, I need to get back to work. And I had two IV towers with me, one blood transfusion, the other IV steroids. And I gained 40 pounds of fluid overnight and my hair and my eyelashes were falling out. And I just remember thinking, fix me up. I got to get on a plane. I got to get back to work. And the doctor looked at me and said, Selena, you're not going anywhere. This is not an ulcer like you convinced yourself it was. This is an autoimmune disease. And the medication you require, you need to stay home. And I really fell into darkness. It was a really tough time. And I'll never forget inside the hospital, there was this amazing nurse, you know, and especially right now more than ever, I think everyone has a beautiful appreciation for medical, you know, support staff and nurses and doctors. And at that time in 2011, this woman told me to read this book called Spirit Junkie by Gabrielle Bernstein. So when I got home out of the hospital, I just binge read it. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, she's addicted to drugs like I'm addicted to money. And it was a massive realization moment for me because up until that point, I was just working really hard to retire at 30. I was a high overachiever, I was working 100-hour work weeks, and there was a lot of money flowing through my hands. I was getting really good compensation. I had strong stock options. I had all the things. And so my mission of retiring at 30 was unknowingly because I was completely empty inside. I, I was working, and I had lost touch with my friends. I wasn't taking a vacation. I remember one time I was on vacation in Mexico, and my boss called me and said, there was a fire at the office. You need to come home. And I just took the first flight home. So I had no boundaries. I had no clarity on what was up. And so that was a real big awakening moment for me, realizing that 
I had a really bad relationship with money that I was thinking I could be happy once I retired and I wasn't Mm. living in the present. So that's a really long opening to say that I've always loved money. I became a chartered professional accountant because of it. And I really realized that I was using money as a crutch to avoid feeling, to buy things that weren't really lighting me up, but just gave me momentary endorphins. And out of the hospital, I started digging into this concept of richness consciousness or wealth consciousness. And I was just eating everything I possibly could on the topic, like devouring books and all the things. And it was really fascinating for me to realize that I had it all wrong with money. And I feel like it's a condition of how we're brought up, that it's Mm -hmm. unspoken. We don't talk about it with our peer group or friends. Like if you ask someone how much they make, you know, people will just be deeply offended. And I just have committed my life to changing the conversation around money and to helping, you know, all humans, but especially women entrepreneurs find ways to earn more, to create richness from the inside out, because I almost lost my life to my pursuit of wealth. And now my life is rich in far better ways. And it's not only just about the currency of money, but the energy of money that brings about richness. So So I'm related for this conversation. And I just hope that anyone listening to this just thinks about money in beyond the cash. Mm -hmm. I like how you framed that. And I can think of a bunch of people in my immediate life right now that went through something similar to you on their path, they're going to want to hear this episode with you because it's exactly related to their situations. Yeah, it happens to a lot of us. And unfortunately, it's not brought to the forefront. It's something that lives in the darkness, like, oh, that time when. Mm -hmm. So I decided to turn like my pain into fuel. And I've, you know, for many years spoke about it on stage and I've had thousands of women come up and say, oh my gosh, I feel like I can see myself in your story. And that's precisely why I do it because, you know, we always have the best of intentions when we're living our life. And we don't even realize how money is in every decision we make, Mm -hmm. whether it's indirect or direct. And that may feel jarring to some. They're like, no, absolutely not. But let's just give context to that. Like think about waking up in the morning and you might lean over and grab your phone because the alarm's going off and say there's like a crack in the front of your phone and you're like, ah, I need to fix the phone, but oh my gosh, it's going to cost like $1,200 to get a new phone. Mm-hmm. And you're already thinking about money. And then maybe you go you know, into the, the bathroom and you're putting on your makeup and you, you crack your eyeshadow and you're like, ah, I need to buy more eyeshadow. And then you go you know, into your closet and you're like, oh, my clothes are so old. I need new clothes. And I know I'm being a bit silly in these examples, but it's true. Like we're always thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, the money approach. component. Mm-hmm. If you sit down to your your computer and you open up your email and there's, you know, a bill waiting for you and you're like, oh, I thought, you know, that was coming next week or whatever it is. And so just allowing yourself to have the awareness that money is in in all things and we don't have to feel completely lack about it. We can Mm -hmm. start changing that conversation. So how does one change the conversation then from a place of lack to abundance? Or, you know, you'd mentioned that energy is a flow of money. It's another flow type of energy flow. How do people do that? So one of the things that I, I invite people to start considering is the context and the automatic dialogue they have within themselves about money. So thinking back to the generations, how they interacted with money before us. So you think about the 1930s, you know, everyone was really connected to like keeping hold of money (laughs) or in the 1980s when interest rates were like 24%. And so Mm -hmm. depending on what generation you grow up in, a lot of the language was like, you have to pay attention to your money. You have to be really careful with your money. And if you weren't really good with your money, that somehow was a reflection that you weren't enough. Mm -hmm. So through this work, I just invite everyone to start thinking about how they grew up with money. And I'm going to give an example. So in high school, I, and Jenny, you've probably heard this story because you've listened. This is your pretzel story. This is my pretzel story. I'm excited to hear it. (laughs) So in high school, I remember you got a class list. Everyone has to bring something. And so I got dedicated to bring pretzels. And so I go to my small town 
store and I just had enough money to buy the no-name pretzels because there's no debit cards or anything like that. I was like, whatever cash you had, you're buying. I remember thinking like, oh, I really wish I could buy the brand name ones. But anyways, I go to my class, I bring these pretzels out and the entire class like starts spitting the pretzels out and saying, oh my gosh, these are so gross and you're such Mm -hmm. a loser and really making fun of me about the pretzels. And I remember feeling so worthless in that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, like why didn't I have enough money to buy the brand name pretzels? And it's a ridiculous story, but the potency of knowing our past with money is in a small moment in time like that ended up shaping like 15 years of spending decisions in the future because in that moment, I never wanted to be no name again. And so after that, I started buying everything brand name I could possibly afford. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, 22, when I got that that job, I was head to toe in luxury labels. Like if you saw me, it was, you know, Laboutin, Burberry, LV, and there was nothing wrong with luxury labels, but I was buying them from a place of feeling not enough. And I was mm-hmm. like putting myself in a veil to be like, you won't see the real me. It's, it's my protection. Mm-hmm. And no one was going to call me no name again. And then I realized, wow, like that one moment in time was shaping so many of my decisions. It shaped hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of purchases. And what I believe is that everyone has a version of a pretzel story. And I've heard thousands of them over my career. And I've got many of them from my past. I use that one because it's really clarity focused on how a, like literally a 10 minute interaction with people Mm. can influence you. And so, you know, I've had many of them where my mom would say things like, you have to watch money or it will leave you. Or money doesn't grow on trees. Yeah. This idea of lack, looping back to this conversation is that we have so much of our brain in autopilot with money. We have decided our money rules unconsciously. So if we've been taught that we can only buy things on sale, we will live as though that is our truth. So we may go to the grocery store and our mom has taught us that we only buy things on sale. Automatically, we might do that. Or we may be rebellion and, you know, stick it to our mom and buy the the expensive things. But for the most part, our money stories are formed in childhood years or traumatic Mm -hmm. times. And so we start realizing that our brain just makes automations for us. And so my pretzel story was guiding my decisions. I was like, I go to the store and I just buy, I'd be attracted to the fancy labels. Not because my logical brain was like, yeah, I need to spend all this money. It was because my subconscious was like, you're never going to be no name again. Go buy those labels. Or someone might feel like they walk into a store and be like, well, I could never afford this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And asking why, because it's likely coming from a, a past situation where Someone told you that you couldn't afford it. You know, there might have been a situation where you're at the store and you may want like yogurt cups and your mom says, nope, we can't have those. We can only buy the tubs of yogurt. And so unconsciously, you just never go and get those again because it's just programmed into you. And I know that can sound silly, but it is so true. The bulk of this is to say lack with money exists everywhere. It's in how we choose to see it. So in one instance, we could look at a situation and someone might feel there's more than enough and someone might feel that there's never enough. And I've had Mm -hmm. clients who've been worth hundreds of millions of dollars feel like there's just never enough. No matter Mm -hmm. how much they acquire money-wise, they still feel empty. And so that's this idea that we can have power over ideas of what money means to us and what richness means to us. And so how we can go about changing this is in the moment— when you feel like you can't afford anything, you have to do a pattern interrupter. Say, mm-hmm. huh, interesting. What is happening here? Why do I suddenly think I, I can't afford this? And we're awakening to these thoughts because they've just lived in the background. So we're bringing them to our awareness. We're bringing them to our consciousness and saying, that's interesting. Is this something that I actually want to believe? Like mm-hmm. ask, asking yourself to question it, saying, do I really think I can't afford to buy the brand name ranch dressing? Like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel this way? Is this my truth? And then you think about, like, the quality of life, the standard of life you want to live. If that ranch dressing brings you joy, it's like, does this support the vision of my life? Do I want it? And maybe you're going to get it just because of that. 
And in that small moment, it can be abundance. And then you start awakening to other abundance. So for example, like someone ahead of you in the coffee line buys you a coffee. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we're like, oh, that's awesome. But then we immediately dismiss it. And instead it's like, wow, this is abundance. Or if someone says something really kind to you, like sends you a beautiful Mm -hmm. email, like, wow, this is amazing. This makes my soul feel alive. That is abundance. Or if someone drops off flowers on the front of your doorstep and you're like, oh my gosh, they brought me flowers. And so it's starting to move away this idea of abundance just being connected to dollar bills and instead going like, my life feels rich. If I have awareness around what feels rich and then I know I can take my power back for the areas where I feel like I don't, all of a sudden we start feeling a little differently about it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. Yeah, Selena, you went through obviously a very emotional, traumatic situation in order to discover this about yourself. And there are some individuals that do have this money rule or boundary. However, they may not realize it. So Mm -hmm. how do they apply this mindfulness if they're unaware that it's actually day-to-day in their decision-making on how they spend money, save money, how they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, apply money into different situations. So how are they going to be mindful more, more so? Beautiful question. So yeah, for me, it was like a series of traumatic events and I definitely don't want anyone having to get that far. But I think ultimately is just remembering that we have some, some clarity and some control and the awareness is important. So for anyone listening to this, I invite you to think about like, as you wake up every day and you start paying attention to things that trigger you with money, that give you those like anxiety feelings in your belly or or make you feel sweaty or just like feel that tightening in your chest or make you feel like resentful or annoyed or you find yourself going, oh, why me as it relates to money? Just start documenting that. And what I mean, it can be simple as like putting a note in your phone saying like, I don't know why, but when... Mm-hmm. My friend, you know, commented about my shoes. It really irritated me. What happens is you start realizing how often it occurs. And so for most people, it's several times a day. Some people are hundreds of times a day. They're thinking about it. Like, I'll give a silly example. I have peonies on my desk right now because they're in season. I love peonies. But, you know, I may have a friend come over and say, oh my gosh, peonies. I love peonies, but I I could never get those for myself. I might Mm. say like, oh, how come? It's like, oh, they're too expensive. And like just immediately dismiss it. Yeah. That's an example where that person might go, oh, why, why do I dismiss that I can't have flowers? And she might say, well, it's because someone has to buy them for me. And then I might say, oh, interesting. Okay, so what if you bought them for yourself and gifted yourself some richness? And mm-hmm. then she might go, oh, okay. So like just any example like that. You know, if you get a flat tire and you you spin out because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to call help and it's going to cost a few hundred dollars and saying like, oh, okay, why am I so freaked out about this? Because it's just automatic for us to feel stress about money. And so the whole mission of this is to not fix and minimize the stress or to ignore it, but to allow it to come up and say, I see you. And then looking for the patterns of what come up because everyone's relationship with money is unique and different. So I view it like a fingerprint. The three of us, we're going to have very unique money stories. We're all going to spend our money differently, save money differently. And that's a beautiful gift. So Mm -hmm. that's why I say like, pay attention to your own life and what triggers you. If you see someone, you know, going out and spending a lot and you feel envious of that, just allow yourself to go, oh, okay. Why is that feeling like a lot to me? Because it's showcasing somewhere underneath that feeling, there's a thought that's tied to a belief that's not serving us. Selena, I really like what you said there. It sounds like awareness is the first step for individual awareness of what your money story is. Do you ever recommend to people, because Jenny had an important question, a gratitude journal. I think sometimes people, I mean, I've been guilty of this before. I thought a few years ago that I was somebody that appreciated things you know, experiences, time with loved ones, even material goods. But then I also got really sick. (laughs) And from there, it was a deep, dark place. And then I needed to do anything that I could to get better and change my mindset. So I was writing in a gratitude journal every day. And I realized how much 
I thought that I appreciated that I didn't actually appreciate until I actually wrote it every day. I'm like, oh my goodness, everything, everything in here is just so amazing. Do you recommend that to some of your clients? Absolutely. So inside some of my programs, I call them like, we'll check in every week and then every quarter to say like, what are we celebrating? Mm -hmm. The idea of celebration is not to just be in excitement because yes, excitement is wonderful, but it's really to stand in the power of gratitude. And gratitude is really recalibrating our energy to manifestation because when we're in a feeling of gratitude, it's that like really heightened awareness for all of the good like truthfully, like standing and like, I am so grateful for this. I am so proud of myself. I am so mm-hmm. happy for this and not just excited. It's just an inherent feeling. And so when we're in that place, it opens up the world in 4D for me because much of our life, we're just living unconsciously too. And we don't mean to, it's just like our brain power could never literally pay attention to everything. So when we can drop into the awareness of saying like, oh my word, Right now, I have everything I've always wanted like three years ago, and I don't even realize it because I'm so focused Mm -hmm. on on achieving the next thing because that's how we're considered valuable in our society. What are you achieving? How much money do you make? And it's all about go, 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 go. Like I'm so grateful to see hustle culture is starting to be minimized because hustle is just like moving forward always, and that's that's not healthy for humans. I think we've all done that, right? I mean, we all of us on this call have fallen into that. Mm -hmm. And you lose that connection. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we pause and say, like, truly, why am I grateful for this? Not because I need to have, you know, force myself to appreciate this. It's Mm -hmm. changing the lens on that to recalibrate, to say, I want to, like, really understand richness that I have. And not in the terms of just money, but really wealth from the inside, the pieces of me that are just so grateful for what I already have. And it can change our perspective, especially if if you're a CEO. I think like part of being a business owner is so mm-hmm. hard. Like every day you're forced to to revisit your wounding. Like you have to learn how to sell and you <laughs> have to learn how to stand behind your products and you have to learn to like interact with clients. And there's lots of layers to that. And so I love to anchor into gratitude, but not from a place of force, but just to explore the things that are in our consciousness and around us that are like, wow, this is really good. And oh my goodness, if I would have noticed this from last year, I would have been elated. Like before this call, I I was on with a client and that's exactly what we spoke about. She's like, I had no idea my revenue increased 40% until Mm -hmm. I looked at this. And I'm like, I'm so grateful for my mindset expansion, for my expansion in my confidence, expansion in my standards of life. And now I have a better appreciation and just changes our energy on how we show up to our day. And I think that's what you're saying, Tony. It's like a beautiful recalibrator. Mm-hmm. Like It wakes us up to what's good. I love that. You're just so perfect to have on the show. Thank you for coming. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, ladies, so much. Do you remember, actually, this is uh, digressing for a minute, but when Jenny and Mm -hmm. I did the pilot episode just to see if we would have synergy together, the title was, What is Wealth Mean to You? And it was funny because for both of us, we recognize that obviously it was not just about monetary yearly earnings. It was about the relationships with people, the relationship with ourselves and just abundance in all of these other things. So it's perfect. Um, you really are my people because I feel like they're <laughs> literally articulating like what I teach inside my programs. It's this idea of no longer speaking of people as leads. Because leads mm-hmm. are like something that we like anchor into and not think about as a human being. And instead, it's like, how are we connecting to our communities in a meaningful way? And how are we yes. building connection pathways to create meaningful relationships? And how are we like using that as fuel so that when someone comes into our communities that they are seen and heard and celebrated? Mm-hmm. And that is the richness piece. Like if you get an opportunity to see how richness is redefined. It's everywhere. It's just like everything. When you look at for it, it Mm. expands. And so to me, like looking at this concept of, of richness, like I really work on this on a daily basis for me. You know, there's somewhere along the way where I decided that I should have Prosecco instead of Mm -hmm. of champagne, for example. (laughs) 
And it doesn't matter how much more money I earn in my company. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, it doesn't matter how much more I earn in my company. I always am like at the store, I'm like, okay, I'll get the Lamarck Prosecco, which is great. There's nothing wrong with it. It's awesome. But like thinking about what my true desires are, Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I'm breaking out the good China more often, if you will. Yes. You should tell us more about your program. We need to hear more. (laughs) We need to hear more. Yeah. So you're talking about richness and you're obviously Mm -hmm. a lifelong proud student of conscious wealth. 100%. Describe, and you were talking about Prosecco and and making decisions on why you deserve Mm -hmm. um, to enhance your life in certain ways. For no other reason that you deserve it and you're worth it. Yeah. Right. And like, I really believe we have one precious life. Like it was never more clear to me leaving the hospital. Like I really got a second chance. And- Over the years, there's been stressors that have minimized that for me, you know, but because life can be a challenge sometimes. But ultimately, I have this underlying principle that every year I get more rich and it begins within. And Mm -hmm. I don't really worry about what my like outside financial goals are. If I'm always building from the inside out, it's a byproduct. You know, money is an amplifier for us. So if we are standing in the truth of who we are, we're having integrity, we're always committed to growing, like we've been talking about, like a student of life, and we're committed to healing ourselves with our money story, 100% money will follow. Like, mm-hmm. And I really live and breathe that. So over the years, I've kept refining like what currency I want to work on. So if it's time, for example, mm-hmm. the time currency, I might want to transition to a four-day work week because time is priceless and I want to have more of it. But I commit to raising my earnings still, but having less time committed to the business. Or, you know, prior to the pandemic, it was like, how many location freedom pieces can I have of my richness? And I live by this concept called fun, free, and easy. So everything I live by, I ultimately you know, live by that principle. And it's not always just about having fun to have fun, but it's like, can part of me get behind this because I'm actually really interested in it and excited about the legacy of it? And, you know, can I feel some form of freedom? Like, why am I choosing to do this? Is this, you know, tethered to someone else or is this really about helping? And then easy isn't just about it being easy and simple. It's just like, does this flow with the wealth Mm -hmm. that I want for my day to day? And so I love to think about that when I'm taking on new projects or decisions. And so I started building programs around this concept because I had been speaking from stages for years and working with a lot of one-on-one clients. And then I started realizing, wow, like as women entrepreneurs, it's time to take our power back. It's time to like see wealth differently and be unapologetic about wealth. Yeah, I think part of that is like, we've been taught to be good girls and to fall in line and our goal is to replace our job income. And I'm I'm like, F that. Let's go. Let's bring bigger. Let's be bigger. Let's own our strengths. And not from a place of look at me, but a, a place mm-hmm. of like for the greater good. Like if we bring more wealth from the inside out to us, like think of the ripple effect of that. Like if you inspire someone else to, to live wealthy, oh my word, like that has a limitless ripple effect around the world. You know, we're six degrees from everyone on the earth, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can inspire your sphere of influence to see richness in places we've never taught to see it, everything can change. And if we start to see that you can invest in yourself before the money comes and ultimately it creates a ripple effect of money and change and transformation, it's limitless. So in 2016, I started building women's sisterhoods for CEOs. And I've been doing it ever since. And so my flagship program is called The Accelerator. And we work on accelerating our income, our profits, our mindset, and our richness Mm -hmm. from the inside out. And so a lot of these women come in with beautiful ideas and beautiful businesses, but they're committed to seeing richness differently. So they're Mm -hmm. like, I want to create wealth so that I can change the legacy of my family. I want to create wealth so I can hire more employees. I want to have more wealth so I can give more and be more. And I want to live my very best life Mm -hmm. and be unapologetic about that. So over the last six years, we've had women who've done, you know, incredible things where they're starting out and going like, I can't do this. And then all of a sudden, five months later, they're making 10K months. And then, you know, 20K months, five more months later, and some are doing, you know, multiple six-figure launches and and then dealing with what comes along the way. Because as we expand our wounds revisit in different ways. And it's like, Selena, 
Sorry, go ahead. Do you see a difference in the millennials and the mm-hmm. baby boomers and the Gen Xers and the Gen Zs? I don't know what they're That's called now. Question. Do you find that there's less money shame with the younger group because they value more lifestyle and they value more different things than the conventional, the nine to fivers who believe that they have to, you know, earn it every mm-hmm. dollar for every hour in order that to they have work. abundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really good question. And I would say that overall depends on like the level of security and risk that we're willing to take on. And so a lot of millennials will be like, I'm going for it. You know, I'm willing to go for it. But also a lot of millennials feel a lot more pressure because it's mm. far more expensive to live now. You know, like to break into a, a market like Toronto, for example, to be able to buy a property or to buy a property in, you know, San Francisco or in London, it's intense. And so sometimes they feel like, why even bother starting? But then also there's that inside the millennial group is fearlessness to say like, I'm a student of life, I'm going for it. And then I've had, you know, women who are in their early 20s bringing in multiple six figures because they're like, you know, it's fine. And so ultimately what I've just noticed is every different group has their own kind of overarching Mm-hmm. traumas with money and different levels of shame. And because there's unique personalities, we can't make absolutes. But I would say like a lot of the boomers have a lot of influence from the people who lived in the thirties. And then, yeah. you know, some of the Gen Xers might have memories of parents really struggling with interest rates. And so yes and no. And I think that that's ultimately my mission is like wherever we've come from, we can recalibrate our richness and we are never behind. It's only how we choose to see it today. Behindness is it. an idea of lack and yeah. the comparison is an idea of lack. So if we're showing up with this intention that we're going to commit to richness from the inside out every day, we're going to encourage our communities to do the same and we're going to see people for people and we're going to have really good boundaries and not try to fix everyone but really good boundaries to say like, I am really good in this area and here's my service or product. And this is why I believe it will help you and not push it down their throat or have scarcity on having to have like 15 follow-up calls, but just trusting that people have integrity. And if they align to your work, that they stay with you. And that all mushrooms into letting go of old money programming. Because Here's how I feel like for women entrepreneurs, and I know this is a bit of a tangent, so feel free to redirect me, but every woman entrepreneur where they're sitting at their business right now is a reflection of their current level of money programming because Mm -hmm. of all of the decisions they've been making. So if they feel like they can't invest in themselves, Mm -hmm. their money story is telling them that. And if they're, you know, earning and they're capped at a certain ceiling, it's a reflection that there's a money rule saying maybe... And I'll give an example. I had a client who could never break the 250K mark. Whatever she did, it did, you know, there was a way that she would sabotage herself. And so when we dug into her money story at that level, she realized like a parent of hers believed that anything over a certain Mm -hmm. threshold made them, you know, not good, that wealthy people were not good. And she had decided that (laughs) 250 mark was a problem. And once we identified that and healed it, she went to 400. She just blew right through it. Go ahead, Tony. No, I was going to say, because you had said we all have our own money stories. And I remember one of mine, and I've been working through this actually. This is so perfect that you're here this year, but it was one of my parents. So don't feel bad, parents, if you're listening, it's fine. Had said, oh, nobody needs that much money when I was little. I think I was five years old. Mm-hmm. And so I always, when I first started real estate, I also had I put a cap into place, Mm. but it was interesting because the first year I was in real estate, I made almost a hundred thousand dollars, like not knowing anything about real estate. Right. And then the second year I made that in almost three months, but, but when that three months happened, I was like, nope, I'm not, I'm not working anymore. That's it. Because I was really close to, I I mean, I, I would have definitely shattered that and I wasn't comfortable. That, oh my gosh, Tony, such brilliance out of your mouth. Like what we just said, you're like, okay, my first year, I come into real estate, like, and I've had a lot of realtor clients, like, Tony, that's incredible. Like your first year cracking the six figure mark, amazing. And then three months into year two, boom, it's here. But this is a perfect example of Mm -hmm. like our parents 
don't mean to cause us harm. Like they're not hoping we're going to have horrific money stories. Half of them don't even know we have money stories, you know, but they're thinking like, oh my gosh, their own reflection and experiences are like wealthy people, maybe not quite as good, or it changes Mm -hmm. you in a really bad way. And so we can have tons of compassion for our parents, but like that awareness is gold. See how an example of like an unconscious thought Mm -hmm. stops you from taking action, stops you from going to the next place. Because what would you possibly need with more than that? Exactly. It was crazy though. But that leads me to my next question. Mm -hmm. So I'm also a parent and I don't know if you can answer this, but I'm dying to ask it. Do you have any advice then for the type of language we could be using with our little ones? I mean, ultimately, no, everybody's different. They're all individuals. So they're probably still going to have their own money, things they need to overcome when they're older from me. But I'm just wondering what kinds of, do you have any recommendations? Another beautiful question. So Tony, I have a six-year-old. And so I've spent much of her her (laughs) life, like really having honest conversations. And I've worked with childhood clients for the last 10 years. So I've had, you know, really small kids all the way up to teenagers and then into adulthood. And so this is my perspective, but I'd love for everyone to make it their own unique take because every Mm -hmm. family is different. Every value system is different. So my whole idea with children is that we can set them up for success with learning their money story and that their feelings around money are welcome, whether they're Mm -hmm. positive or negative, and let them to have some choice around how they want to spend their money so we can educate them but I, I like to deformalize it because when we sit and we're making it a big deal, lots of kids will shut down. So case mm-hmm. in point, if we're at the grocery store and we're talking about, you know, a child wanting something and you're saying, no, we can't afford that, which is a blanket response from a lot of parents, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, for children that creates a mental cap for them. They're like, yeah. oh my gosh, we can't afford that. And some kids might think, oh my gosh, we're not safe which is exactly what happens to some kids. They're like, I better never ask for anything again because we don't have enough money. Like I remember one of my little clients, they lived in a big, beautiful house. And she's like, I'm scared to ask for anything because like, what if we lose our house? (laughs) And so we don't even realize how, you know, money impacts children. And so we're just doing our best. We're like you said, Tony, Mm -hmm. we're going to screw it up sometimes. (laughs) But I think ultimately just having conversations with them about money. So if we're at the store and they're like, hey, I want this. We can recalibrate our words instead of saying, I can't afford that. Say, let's put it on the list for next week. Or Mm, let's, let's think about like, would you like to use that with your own money? And they're like, no way. (laughs) You know, you pay, you pay for it, mom. Changing the dialogue or, you know, when you're planning a vacation and saying like, look, okay, this vacation we're spending, it's going to be $2,000. And I'm just making up a number here, but $2,000 and and this is the cost of the hotel. And then this is the cost that we're going to use for fun money. What do you think you'd like to do? Or what hotel would you like to stay Mm -hmm. at? And Mm -hmm. it's not that they're going to figure out all the pieces of money. We just speak about it. So it doesn't automatically translate into something that is shame filled or that they have to hide from. And then the other piece is to decide if you're going to give your children an allowance that we don't reward or take away allowance based on behavior. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm. Okay. For allowance for me, I believe it's a non-negotiable. It's just like, because you're in this family, you get paid because what it does is establishes no matter how I'm feeling, money is always coming to me. That's very interesting. And and for like the allowance piece can create safety for them. And the other piece to that is they're going to want to buy stuff that you're not going to want them to get. Like, a couple of weeks ago, my daughter bought this ridiculous thing. And inside, I'm like screaming. I'm like, no. Like, what was it? It was like a big piece of like glittery bomb paint. Like I could just. Sounds like, kind oh, of fun though. I have to do this outside. But I didn't want her to get it at all. Like I was like, this is a terrible thing. But she really wanted it. And so I said, okay, like you can get it with your own money. And so she knows how much money she has. I give it to her in cash so she can pay herself. Yeah. And she was thrilled and we did it outside. So then I was happy with that because I had water all over the house. But ultimately, like kids are going to make poor choices with money. And so mm. I love to set it up in a way that honors the family, whether that's like a third saving, a third giving, a third spending mm-hmm. or half and half or whatever honors the family, but that they still have some choice in it, especially as it relates to their spending. Because my whole mission with children is that they can start failing when the stakes are lower. 
Mm-hmm. And then when they're older, they're used to failing. So it's I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a great segue into maybe my personal mm-hmm. situation as well and and many listeners of ours. Can you give an example on how to create like a safe space and conversation with your partner or spouse when there's different value towards money? And for example, if I'm a spender and someone else is a saver? Yes. Okay, Jenny, good question because everyone attracts their opposite pretty much. So there's always <laughs> somewhat of a misalignment there. And so My whole philosophy over the last 10 years is so that people feel seen and heard and that we're not trying to shut them down. And so traditionally in our culture, we don't have money conversations. Like, could you imagine on the first date, it's like, hey, what's in your savings account? Like no one would ever speak to you again, right? So it's learning to decide that you can start having these conversations when you feel ready. And so for every person that looks different, but the dialogue around it could look something like this. Like I've been digging into the study of relationship with money and it's so fascinating for me. You know, everyone has a unique story and I I had no idea how much it impacted the reality of today. And so, you know, say you're with a partner for five years, let's just say, and you have literally just fought with money all the time. So you're mm-hmm. like, how could we possibly create safe space? You can say like, listen to this podcast this one day and this crazy lady was talking about safe space. (laughs) They would be willing to try it. And so something like this to say, hey, I want to talk about this and I want us to hold space for each other. And so what I heard her say hold space looks like is let's just listen. Let's just listen and not try to fix or not try to judge each other. Let's just hold a container of when we're having this conversation that my highest and best sees your highest and best. And we're probably going to get triggered. So we're going to create a code word. And I had a couple named like Rotten Tomatoes. When Rotten Tomatoes Mm -hmm. got brought up, it was like, okay, we're going to take some like 24 hours downtime before we talk about it. I've had couples do this naked so they could like (laughs) have more playfulness about so it's not so serious. So it's very light. Why not? Yeah. And and just (laughs) say like, hey, I'd love to ask you a few questions or even have these questions prepared to say like, what was it like to grow up? in your home with money? How did your parents speak to you about money? Like if you could save or spend or something in between, what would that look like? And to just say like, we're coming at this from a mutual understanding so that I know when we're doing something as a couple, your natural response, not because you don't love me or because you're trying to control me, but it's just a natural reaction for you. And so Mm -hmm. that feels less intense than like, why did you spend $476 Mm -hmm. at Costco? And then the war is on, you know? And so it's just this idea of like, let's come together. Let's really see each other and not try to change outcomes or judge each other, but just get curious about why you feel the way you do about money. And then you can explore that. And so then, you know, sometime when he's doing something or she's doing something, or they're doing something that's really irritating you, you can go, right, it's because this happened to them and they're just mm-hmm. reacting from a place of, of their own programming. And mm-hmm. then to say, like, how can we align that programming? So what could it look like to come together? What feels really safe for you? How would you feel mm-hmm. honored in this? And mm-hmm. you can both go away or do this in real time. So I think a lot of it is just getting clarity on what money feels like to you individually and what money could look and feel like in a safe way for you to combine it. And I think mm. that's unique for everyone. Some people like to combine it fully and ask each other everything. Some people like to have a bit of separation. But my goal for couples is that we get to the root of any forms of resentment or like pieces where you feel like really activated by the other person. If they do something, it irritates you. And I'll give you an example from my daughter's uh, dad that he used to do all the time and used to drive me crazy. He would go to the store and buy no name. That's why he probably brought up the ranch dressing is from the the unconscious story. He would go and buy like no name ranch dressing, which I despise. Like I just don't (laughs) like it. And so he'd bring it home. I'd be like, seriously, why are you doing this? And then I remembered, like, he grew up where his mom was always like, let's acquire yeah. everything that's not brand name because you're going to save money. And so he's just used to it. He didn't even think about it. He wasn't trying to agitate me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but then we would go to like an NHL game and he would drop like a thousand dollars on the tickets. I'm like, there's no correlation between the, the ranch dressing and this. And it just, it was his money story. And so when he would do that, it no longer became about me. I realized it was just his story. Mm-hmm. Then we could talk about it. I wouldn't be charged. I'd be like, oh yeah, there's the no name ranch dressing again. Here we go. And then it these are great tips. Something yeah. we could These are great tips, Alina. Yeah. So as a follow-up mm-hmm. to that, to open up the dialogue about debt, mm-hmm, because that's yeah. often, there's a lot of shame behind that. People tend to identify themselves with debt. And that's just as important conversation as how you want to spend money, how you want to save money together. Mm-hmm. So how do you have that conversation to open up that conversation with your partner? Sure. I love this. Okay. So For spending, I feel like how we choose to spend is how we choose to love ourselves. It's that idea of like, how are we honoring our richness? And so remember for each one of us, that looks different in our spending. And so, especially if we've been activated. So I'll give this example. Say a child has been used to her parents fighting. And so one of her responses might be to up her endorphins. She might go online shop when she feels stressed. And so in her mind, it becomes a pattern that when she feels stressed, She feels safe when she shops, even though her logic Mm -hmm. brain is like, this isn't good for my budget. (laughs) You know, she might do that. And so let's say that manifests then in adulthood when she's in a relationship with a spouse and that spouse gets really triggered by the shopping because when she does it, it's from a place of pain. Mm. And so what might happen in that is that a credit card might get really racked up in debt. And so on the surface, it's like debt, it's bad Mm -hmm. because we've been taught it's bad. We've been taught that we shouldn't have debt because rich people are better. And I say that with ridiculous boldness to say like, we are all worthy. It doesn't matter how much money we have, but somehow along Mm -hmm. the way we've got it muddled by our worth is connected to our bank account. So if it's negative, we can even feel all the more worthless. So in this context, she is, you know, feeling super stressed and shame filled about the debt. And then it perpetuates the feelings even more. The partner might get really stressed. And so if we created some safe space to say like, okay, what what happens for you when you shop? And she might say like, I don't really know. And he might say, okay, well, when did you start doing this? She's like, oh, well, actually when my parents fought, I would always buy things. And so he might support her in saying like, oh my gosh, that must be really hard for you. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you're stressed, let's try to find a new way to support it or let you still shop, but like buy one thing instead of 14 things and then come talk to me instead. And so what we're doing is being supported to a new belief that we are worthy anyway and to practice with action along it and that the spouse can help you. Mm-hmm. And, and then the debt can say like, okay, how do we want to tackle this? And so for me, it's redefining what debt even means. To me, debt is a reflection of past choices. It has nothing to do with our worth. And so our debt could be, you know, going to school. It could be overbuying. It could be that trip to Cabo that you'll never forget. Whatever it is, it's a reflection of your past. And if you choose to change it, you can get rid of it. So number one is knowing you can get rid of it. You could stop the pattern. And then as a partnership, discussing like what it means to have debt in the partnership and how you plan to pay it off and how you're going to go about still enjoying your life so it doesn't feel restrictive while you're paying it off. Because that's typically what happens. We go into feast and famine. It's like we enjoy and we're like, oh, we're adults and we have to watch our budget and then we're not going to do it. And then you get angry at each other. Mm -hmm. So instead of that redefining debt to say, okay, well, how do we feel? Okay, you brought this much in. I brought this much in. How do we want to pay it off? And more importantly than the numbers, what's the feeling and thoughts that live behind the numbers so that mm-hmm. together we can really redefine richness going forward and we can still be rich even with debt. And so what does that look and feel like for us? Does that make sense, Jenny? It does. Such yes, a good answer so to you. And good question. Yeah. And very good answer. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so we're going to go into our third part of this, our segment for this episode is talking about Rich Life Academy. You talked a little bit about this accelerator and your relationship to money program. So what does this program include and who should take your program? Amazing. Well, thank mm-hmm. you for asking this question. So yeah, I have a course with Mark called Relationship to Money. It's really available to anyone who wants to 
dig into this money story work and find a way to heal it. He brings all the fire with the relationship and I bring the money background. And thousands of people have gone through it now and it's it's really fun. And then <laughs> on the other side of like the courses that I offer on my own is I love to do small live programs with women CEOs. And there's such magic to live because you can deal with what's coming up for you in real time and be seen and heard differently. So inside the Rich Life Academy, it's an extension of the relationship to money where we dig into your money story. We look at how that shows up as a CEO and then redefining wealth, like where are our barriers and how are we going to go about taking action to blow through it? And so in this last round of the Rich Life Academy, one of the ladies she made a challenge for herself to earn $80,000 in five weeks. And she's like, I don't think I can do this, but I'm going to go for it. And she used the principles that I was teaching. She did it. Another woman did 5000 But most of the whole goal of the Rich Life Academy is to recalibrate how we see our money story so that you can take that forth for a lifetime and say, my worth doesn't live outside myself. It's not about how many clients I have or what's mm-hmm. sitting in my closet. It's, it's about, wow, I can build a rich life on my terms. And then the next piece of that is my accelerator program, which is a nine-month hybrid mastermind and group program for women entrepreneurs who are really wanting to like take their business to the next level, to master that richness and take it to like more revenue, more impact, more income. And the next layer of that is Club 500, which is my year-long program for women who are really wanting to go at hyperspeed and take richness to new depths. And so it's... That's amazing offering. That That's sounds great so offering. fun. Yeah. So would you recommend someone take your money quiz on your website first? Mm-hmm. Or how do they get started mm-hmm. to know that they're a right fit for your program? Yeah, really good question. So one of the things that I invite people to do is to come on to any kind of free offering I have that's live because you get a really good sense. Facebook community, by the way. <laughs> yeah, a really good sense of like, <laughs> what's up with me? Because yes, the money quiz is a good place to start, but it's just like an intro. It's like, where do you fit? And so on my website, I often list like what up and coming. So, you know, at the time this is airing, I'm doing another masterclass. And I love to do those regularly because it just allows people to tap into the energy and be mm-hmm. in a community of other women who are really wanting to to elevate their money story and to really set fire to their earnings. And so to me, if I could like get to know me best, that's where I would come is one of my free events that I do regularly. So you can find that out via my Instagram, Selena G Money, or my website, selenagray.com. I also have a free Facebook group called She's a Money Boss. And I go in there from time to time and riff on these things. But ultimately, you know, for those people who are like, you know, I feel a call to explore this, you can DM me, you know, because there's no defined path. I think that's the beauty of who we are as human beings and where we want to start. Like if you're a person who's not a business owner, I believe everyone can benefit from the Relationship to Money course. We've had all walks of life, all ages in there. But if you're a woman business owner, my heart and soul is in the live programs. And if that style isn't good for you, definitely I wouldn't be a good fit. And also I have this like deep, deep caring for people. And I'm sure your listener base, because getting to know you ladies, it's very aligned. But some people are just like, no, I want the strategy and then I'm running with it. And I'm not of that. I love Mm. strategy, but it has to be coupled with a mindset that elevates the strategy and creates really magnetism. I would agree. Yeah. Wow. This is oh, so an hour good. has passed, and, and there's so much more to cover that I want to cover. But me uh, too. But we I want to be yeah cautious of your time as well. So I want to wrap up with five rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. Do you have time for that? Oh, exciting! Okay. So, what's one advice you would tell someone who's having difficulty asking for a raise? Mm-hmm. Okay. I would love that person to go inward in their power and just think about the last year and all of the beautiful additions to the value that they've added to the company, where they maybe said something that was really powerful or had an impact on a team or created some form of change and to document all those things. And then to stand in what the negotiation really is about. It's not a reflection of your worth. It's just you communicating 
that the value is being felt. And so stepping mm -hmm. back from making it about you to just advocating for yourself. So instead of saying like, this is my worth on the line and if they don't see it, I'm not worthy. It's like, this is my chance to communicate the value as an employee I've brought to this organization and to okay. stand in your power with that. Because a lot of times we've been taught to diminish that and just like toe the party line. And in negotiation, having that prepped and written, some of the time our employers don't even realize all the good things we've been able to do in that time. So advocating for yourself, writing the things down and standing in your power and removing the emotion because value is in so many things, not just money. And if we can communicate that and receive that and really communicate like this is important to me. And if, if the negotiation doesn't go as planned, there are other things that we can negotiate, like maybe extra time off or, you know, earn days off or leaving early every certain day, like to see yeah. that value can be felt in other forms of richness as well. For sure. How would you recommend that our education system do a better job at teaching teenagers about money wellness? Oh, these questions are so good. Okay. So I have lots of opinions on this, but I know it's rapid fire. So I would say that to get speakers into the classroom, to start talking about the energetics of money, to start adding it to the curriculum, to start encouraging kids to listen to podcasts about beyond the numbers, that mm -hmm. we need to start seeing the emotional connection to money because it just amplifies as we get older. And to say like, your feelings around this are normal. So Yes, describing what a budget is, saying, yes, we have to do our taxes every year, but also that there's this mindfulness component. And if we can inject that, we'll feel a lot safer throughout our entire life. So to me, it would be, let's get in the curriculum. Let's create a list of things that kids could listen to podcast yeah. wise, or even instill some like YouTube channel connections. Like we have so much brilliance out there. Let's, let's advocate for our teenagers. Amazing. Amazing. Next one. What is your most treasured asset? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is this is a no-brainer. I'm just always going to go with my gut feeling. 100% my daughter. She has been mm -hmm. the catalyst. Mm -hmm. And that's not like just to be like a cliche mom thing. I was told I couldn't have children when I had my autoimmune disease. So when she arrived, and it's just like you can see me becoming really emotional. When she arrived, she really redefined what richness meant for me. She was the reason that I made deeper connections with friends and I became more sacred in my time with my clients. And everything that's really been next level awesome has been in the last seven years since she's been a part of my life. And she she says really cool things and she makes me see life differently. And so just getting to be her mom is like the best thing. So yeah, she's my best asset for sure. I could really, It's not really cliche. Beautiful. It's not cliche, yeah. Selena. And what is your current read? Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I'm reading like four books, so that's why I'm trying to pick which one in rapid fire. <laughs> I really, I'll go to my like daily read. So there are money diaries that I read every single day. And it's okay. the thing I read before bed. And so what it is, is people from the US and Canada, how they spend their money over the course of seven days. And so I could talk about the business books or the fiction books, but I'm just yeah, gonna be like, so. what do I read faithfully every day? It's that, and I'll read it right before bed. And it's just ridiculous and fun. It's like, how does someone earn and spend money? And I love to think about the layers of it. And it just, the reason I pause is like, how much do I really want to show the level of nerd I am? But I've been reading them <laughs> for like lots of years and they make me feel calm. And it just proves like money really is my favorite thing. So That's I want to write this down. It's called Money Diaries. Yeah, Money Diaries. So if you okay. Google it, okay. it's just really neat. It'll be like a couple in New York City and how they spend their week. And it shows what they earn and if they want to include their net worth or, you know, a couple in Toronto or a single person mm -hmm. in San Francisco. or. Somebody. I'm actually going to check that out. Yeah, that yeah. sounds really interesting. I mean, some yeah. people might look at this and go, oh my gosh, Selena, what are you reading? But it's like my dirty little pleasure of money reading. <laughs> And last final questions. last question, how do our listeners find you? So come hang out with me on Instagram, Selena G Money, my website, selenagray.com. Come inside the Facebook group, She's a Money Boss with Selena Gray, if you want to, you know, you feel like you want to change some conversation. But also like if you're reading this or listening to this, like reading the show notes or listening to this podcast and you're like, hey, I want to share a money story. I'd love to hear them. I've heard some fascinating awesome. ones and... 
I really am connected to this work. Like it is my heart and soul. And so if we can change the conversation on money, like I'm always happy to hear it, which maybe is reflected in my nerdiness with my reading. But to me, like, even if you just want to start having conversations with the people in your life that matter to you and say like, hey, how can we look at this differently? Like, let's let's find a way to talk about money that doesn't feel weird. Yeah. That, that would be more than enough connection for me. Like, let's all commit to doing one thing to change the conversation and it'll know no bounds. I love it. Mm. I'm going to reach out to you. Yeah, <laughs> Selena, we're so grateful to have you on our show and for bringing such great, deep relational mm-hmm. conversation about money. I know it's a really hard topic for many people to talk about. So guys, find Selena on Selena G Money on her IG and her website, selenagray.com. Thank you again. We're so grateful. Thank you. Um, I learned so much. I could sit here all day with you. You're amazing. And I just really appreciate you having me on and helping us all change the conversation. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. We hope this has been helpful. Our intention is to unite the industry's most powerful, top-performing women, empower women with aspiring stories, and provide you with tools and actionable strategies so you can apply it to your personal and professional life. So what we'd love you to do is connect with us on Instagram at In The House Podcast. If you've listened to this episode, take a screenshot of it and share and tag us on your feed. Let us know your thoughts. Give us some feedback. We want to connect with you and hear about your journey. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Don't forget to hit subscribe, write a review, and share our profile with your friends and peers. Until next time.